Welcome to the new WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. Over the next half hour, WellMed Radio will educate you about the health and wellness of adults everywhere. Co-hosts Dr. Joshua Beck and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron will share information to improve your health and well-being. Here are Ron Aaron and Dr. Joshua Beck. Well, thank you very much, and indeed, here we are. I'm Ron Aaron. Welcome to WellMed Radio. Dr. Joshua Beck, our co-host, is here. He is board certified in family practice, a WellMed physician, and you find him at the WellMed Clinic at Loop 410 in Centerview. And uh, I never really ask you this. You, you, would you like more patients? I, I is would. Is your little panel filled? My my panel is about halfway full, so I see the you know the uh, the level as half 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 full, not half empty. So we need to find you more. So we patients. need to find more patients. Yeah, I'm always taking patients. What is the ideal patient for you? Uh, you know, the ideal patient for me would be probably, you know, a patient that, you know, is healthy. And, you know, I would say the majority of doctors would say that healthy with not too many chronic medical conditions and who doesn't come in with a list of 10 different things to go over. <laughs> that would be the ideal. That would be the ideal. But the reality is, that, you know, we have to take care of everybody. Sure. And so I have a mix of patients that have a lot of medical problems that come in with their lists and then those that don't. And so it kind of balances itself out. Plus, with the commercial patients, which you know are younger patients and you know usually healthier, usually don't have that many medical problems, so those help as well. Now, those patients come with uh, uh, usually insurance under their employer. Exactly. Usually, it's a commercial uh, insurance under their employer, and 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 that's how they've been able to come in to see us. How do they find you? Uh, you know, that's a great question. I'm, I'm not sure. You know, I know how they just we, show up. Yeah, they just show up. They add them to my schedule and they say new patient. No, I don't. And know. there you are. I really don't know how they market to the huh. uh, to the younger uh, crowd. I know how they market to the Medicare Advantage patients, but not to the uh, commercial patients. Now, I sure. asked you off the air because you're always in uh, with a, a smoothie kind of drink. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And this is the first one that is a really yucky green color. I don't eat things that are green like that. Do you not? No. no? I well, do not. Well, you know, uh, looks can be deceiving because it's actually pretty scrumptious. What's in it? Uh, kale, carrots, I think uh, 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 grape juice, and, and then maybe an apple or so. And sweetened and, with? And then sweetened with stevia. So oh, which is an artificial sweetener. Which is a uh, natural, uh, oh. not man-made artificial, but natural calorie-free sweetener. Oh, wow. Yeah, supposedly. And that thing tastes good. It tastes pretty good, actually. And so I have my uh, my, my my salad in the cup today. Right. So it makes me feel better. Right. It's like being in a spaceship. And and my serving of fruit as well. Right. So you got it all covered. I got it all covered. Now I can have the pizza for dinner. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it balances it out, doesn't it? So one of the yeah. things I want to talk about uh, deals with something that mm-hmm. a lot of your patients who are sixty and over often deal with, mm-hmm. and that that's. Really serious chronic conditions, mm-hmm. COPD being one. I've got a neighbor uh, who has uh, serious breathing problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was talking to him the other day. The weather was gorgeous. We were both mm-hmm. outside. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, because he, he's going to the hospital sometimes, and we've seen EMS come and get him. And mm-hmm. really neat guy, a West Point graduate, mm-hmm. uh, former military officer. And uh, so I said, so, so how are you doing? How, how's that breathing thing? Uh-huh. And, and he what laughed. Does he say? Yeah. And he said, well, you know, if I'm standing here uh-huh. just quietly talking to you, it's fine. Mm-hmm. But if I bend over, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, and I see that probably uh, 
you know, many days out of the week, I see people with COPD, and every day I would say I see somebody with, you know, a chronic medical condition that can be debilitating based on the severity or, you know, or their age or their lack of support. You know, maybe their family lives in the, you know, across, you know, the United States, you know, in, you know, wherever, some other state, and they don't come in to, to, to visit. And so, you know, uh, sometimes they need help, you know. And they need a caregiver. Uh, well, they need a caregiver or they need, uh, you know, maybe to not live alone um, or, you know, maybe to move in with their family or whatever they, you know, they choose if they're able to make decisions for themselves. So what is COPD? So COPD is chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, and so it's a chronic obstructive uh, lung disease, uh, an obstruction meaning that, you know, you kind of trap air in, in your lungs, and so you have big lungs, and, and it's hard to, to exhale that air out, right, because the, the, uh, the lungs themselves are stiff, and uh, and they don't you know expand and you know recoil like they once did, and and so you tend to breathe the air in and it's hard to breathe it out, uh, and and that can be due to smoking or it can be due to uh, secondhand smoke. You know maybe you never smoked but you were around you know your your spouse or you know a father or mother or whoever. And and in years of secondhand exposure, or uh, you know, it can be due to you know work-related you know inhalation of other other chemicals uh, that may lead to an obstructive lung disease uh, versus a uh, restrictive lung disease, which would be a, a one that's difficult to open up. The lungs are difficult to open up; they're stiff, but they tend to be more closed, and so they don't open up as well. So it's hard to breathe the air in. Either one is bad. <clears throat> Either one is bad. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, we I see, you know, varying degrees of that, whether it's mild COPD that I recently diagnosed or was diagnosed by a pulmonologist or they were diagnosed in the hospital, you know, and this can be based on a chest x-ray or it can be based on, you know, a CT of the chest or a CAT scan of the chest, that special imaging study of the chest. Let's talk more about that. But first, I want to remind folks, if mm-hmm. you've just joined us, you're listening to WellMed Radio on 930 AM, The Answer. Mm-hmm. I'm Ron Aaron along with Dr. Joshua Beck, and we're talking about those kind of chronic diseases that in his patient population, folks are living with and trying to cope with. Mm-hmm. So for breathing problems, mm-hmm. uh, some may use an a, a inhaler, or what do they use to deal an with? Inhaler. An yeah. inhaler. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, you know, I'll get patients and we'll screen them. Maybe they they don't have symptoms, you know, but they have a history of smoking or being exposed to secondhand smoke. And so we'll do something called a spirometry, which is a special little device that, you know, people blow into. And then it kind of gives us all these little values about, you know, how well they were able to blow and exhale that air. And then there are some ratios that we look at that kind of are suggestive of whether they have an obstructive or restrictive lung problem. Uh, and then the history tells us the other part. Uh, and so that's our initial step. Or, you know, like I said, a chest x-ray, sometimes the radiologist will mention overexpanded or hyperexpanded lungs suggestive of COPD. Um, and Or other times, you know, maybe patients went to a pulmonologist because they were discharged, you know, from the hospital with whatever they were in, you know, pneumonia or right. whatever it was. And then the pulmonologist does por- formal pulmonary function tests which are more specific and better than the spirometry. The spirometry is just an, you know, initial test, and then they get diagnosed that way. And so, you know, like I said, you know, I see mild cases, moderate, severe, 
when it's severe, sometimes, you know, people are always short of breath. They're on oxygen, you know, maybe only at night or maybe it's all day. They carry around the little oxygen, portable oxygen concentrator, you know, or the uh, uh, tank, oxygen tank, you know, on some wheels. And, um, and, and so I see all of that. You know, and the inhalers that you mentioned. So the inhalers are the treatment, right? So base, we have guidelines that we follow as primary care doctors, as do pulmonologists and other specialists. And so our guidelines tell us what medications to use at what stage of the disease. So the inhalers will help with varying aspects of the disease based on the severity and the progression. Now, what do they do? And so you have inhalers that help decrease mucus production in the lungs so you're not coughing up and hacking up all that phlegm and having a hard time breathing in and out because of all the phlegm, all that gurgling that you hear. Right. You know, or the patients complain about it at night. And then we have other inhalers that help open up the lungs a little bit more. They help them expand a little bit more, make them a little bit more uh, contractile. Uh, and, and so you're able to breathe in a little bit better that way. Um, or, or, or there's other steroid inhalers that will help decrease inflammation, which also helps decrease the mucus production. Uh, and, and wheezing, you know, that sound that you hear, that little whistle that sometimes you'll hear patients, uh, you know, make uh, that have COPD or asthma, you know. So, what causes the wheezing? Uh, I, I would say it's just inflammation, you know, and maybe some fluid in the lungs. And as you breathe in and out, you know, the bronchioles. So you have your, your, your bronchioles and then, and then the bronchioles are kind of like the branches of the tree, the, the tr- you know the, the talking about your lungs right? your lungs yeah the lungs are the you know the tree and the branches are, are, are you know your uh, bronchioles and then and then they go down to little branches you know like the leaves and they're called uh, alveoli and, and that's where the uh, gas exchange occurs with the blood you know to you know take the oxygen that we breathe in into the bloodstream and then circulate it around through the blood and CO two out and CO two out yeah and so your heart carbon help- dioxide yep. Yeah. CO2. And so your heart helps with that by, by pumping, right? You're, you're pumping this uh, deoxygenated, you know, or lack of oxygen, blood that has no oxygen, you know, into the lungs. You get oxygen that way, and then it goes back into the left side of the heart and out to the body to oxygenate everything, hopefully. When I was first diagnosed with uh, AFib, mm-hmm. uh, I was having trouble breathing, very, mm-hmm. very short of breath. Mm-hmm. That is not a pleasant thing to have. Yep, I would agree. And Having experienced it, I feel so badly for someone well, like my neighbor uh-huh. uh, who, who can't exert himself, can't bend over mm-hmm. uh, without struggling to breathe. Yeah, and the reality is that some of these patients may also have bad hearts. Maybe they have coronary artery disease or uh, you know, plaque buildup in the arteries in their heart. And maybe they've had a heart attack in the past or they have, you know, have had open heart surgery, bypass surgery, as some people may have heard it, you know, or stents right. placed. And so sometimes it's, you know, well, what, what's making it worse? Is it the COPD or the heart or both? You know, and so there's a lot of different factors. And, and then maybe some people are still smoking, you know. I still have those uh, patients that have COPD that continue to smoke, hopefully not around their oxygen tank. Seriously. But they continue to smoke, you know, and it's one of those things that, you know, we have to continue to work, work well, on to so, get them to quit. It's so incredibly addictive. Mm-hmm. It is very addictive. And so I will say that if you have COPD and you smoke, uh, you know, then, then it can progress. But if you have stopped smoking, then, then, then usually the COPD won't progress to a worsened stage. Which is good. Which is which is what we're shooting for, right? We don't want it to get worse. But there's no cure. But there is no cure. 
when we, when when we get to the point where we grow lungs on uh, test tubes and and start doing lung transplants, and I'm sure you know. Well, they do some lung transplants. Yeah. Uh, Folks with cystic fibrosis occasionally sure. will get a lung transplant. Which is usually in people that are younger and healthier yeah, 18, and don't 19 have all years the medical old. problems. Right. You know. But I mean when this becomes mainstream, you know, you can just you know, go go to Walmart and get your lungs. <laughs> you Do you know. foresee that? Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I would hope that you know things will will progress in t- into that that direction where we can help people that way. Well, we have a body that does have stem cells hanging out. We do. Can't we just pop them into something and turn them into lungs? I'm sure we can. We need some really bright people to be able to do that. Well, let's hope they're working on it. Exactly. Uh, and, and have you had patients? Who have had lung transplants? I have not had. I've had patients who have had lung cancer and have had portions of their lungs removed, but never a transplant. No. And you can have a portion of your lung removed mm-hmm. and survive. You can. Uh huh. You, you you can have. You know the uh, the right or the uh, right side right lung. You know has three portions: the upper lobe, the middle lobe, and the lower lobe. Whereas the left has two. Uh, in most people, I did so, not know that. Sometimes it's it's different. You I've know? learned new things today. Yeah, and so uh, you know, you can have a portion of it removed, or you know, maybe you even have the whole side removed, and the other side is still functioning. Like kidneys, you can live on one. Exactly. So you know, those that come in pairs tend you know tend to do better. But you know, if it's just one organ, you know, then then you tend to not do so well, like the pancreas, you know, or or you know, if you have a large portion of your liver removed, or you know, or whatever it may be. No, livers regenerate, don't they? Livers can regenerate. We'll talk about it in a moment right here on WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron along with our co-host, Dr. Joshua Beck. You hear us on 930 AM, The Answer. Caregiving is incredibly difficult and challenging for thousands of people caring for someone they love. It's a job that is demanding and often feels as if it's never-ending. Caregivers feel alone and lonely. That's where Caregiver SOS On Air comes to the rescue. This half-hour weekly program features nationally known gerontologist Carol Zerniel and attorney and veteran broadcaster Ron Aaron. Ooh, that's me. Caregiver SOS On Air, Saturday mornings at 7.30, Sunday evenings 5.30, on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. We are learning so much today. I, I, I love it. I'm Ron Aaron along with Dr. Joshua Beck. You're listening to WellMed Radio on 930 AM, The Answer. All of our shows are available on podcast, and you can download those and listen to them or share them with a friend or neighbor or someone who may be struggling with one of the issues we talk about on this program. Uh, I don't think there's a disease or a condition that we have not touched on in the years that we have been doing this show part of which, as uh, Dr. Beck said, qualifies me for an MD degree. Yes, you, you get an honorary uh, MD degree after so many years of being a Yeah, but co-host. honorary, honorary yeah. I can't practice. Yeah, well, you know, you'll have to you know, take it up with your colleagues. Now, we were talking about livers <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. right before, uh, mm-hmm. and one of the things I asked you is can they regenerate? Because people who are liver donors, you can be a live liver donor, to somebody, they don't give them your whole liver. Mm-hmm. They, they give them a chunk, a chunk of liver. Yeah, you get a portion of the liver, and that liver tends to hyper, you know, grow or hypertrophy and enlarge in size, and and you know it never becomes you know a nor you know a fully sized normal liver, 
uh, as far as I know. I'm not a uh, you know liver transplant specialist, but I, I, right. but, but I will say that uh, you know you can you know so you can get a liver transplant you know and then you're on medication to help suppress your immune system so that it doesn't attack the liver. Uh, and, and you can get kidney transplants. So I have had patients that have had liver transplants and have had kidney transplants, but never a lung transplant. And so. kidney transplants, of course, yeah. you have two, and, and you can mm-hmm. live quite well with just one. You can live quite one, well one with just kidney one. One kidney can do the job of two. Exactly. And usually the people that get the transplant are the ones that have one that's gone bad. Oh, and and so then they get another one, otherwise they die. Yeah. <laughs> or they have to live on dialysis forever. Right, which yeah. nobody wants which to do. Which nobody wants to do, exactly. Now back to other conditions that people mm-hmm. are living with uh, mm-hmm. who are your patients. We've talked about uh, COPD. Uh, wh- what about heart failure, problems with the heart itself? Yeah, and so I have patients who, you know, many patients actually who have heart failure Congestive heart failure? Congestive heart failure, and so that can be due to failure of the left side of the heart called uh, systolic uh, congestive heart failure uh, due to a uh, decreased function or decreased ability of the heart to eject the blood uh, you know, uh, throughout the body. So it's right? not squeezing right. Exactly. So it's not pushing the blood out to the aorta you know, appropriately enough or strong enough. Um, or it could be a failure of the right side of the heart. So it's the, the side of the heart that tends to relax and fill with blood before it con- contracts and pushes that blood, you know, through the um, a pulmonary artery into the lungs. Uh, and, and, and so, uh, you know, you can – or you can have both. And, and this can be due to so many different things. There's so many different causes of heart failure. Now, I'm relatively short, about 5'5 five, five or so. Mm-hmm. Used to be 6'6", six, six, but now I'm 5'5". Five, five. Uh-huh. Maybe five foot would be more accurate. For people who are tall, Uh that heart has to pump that blood through that really tall body. I'm thinking, for example, of uh, NBA basketball players. Sure. The guy in the Spurs who's over seven feet tall. Mm -hmm. So my heart doesn't have to work as hard Mm -hmm. as his heart. Yeah, and I would say it also depends on the size of the heart, you know. So if you have a small heart, then it tends to have to work harder than if you have a large heart. I don't mean large heart because of disease. I just mean the size of the heart in general. Also, now, is that a luck of the draw, genetics? Genetics, uh, you know, and maybe, you know, how you were nourished growing up and, you know, and, and other factors. Um, you know, it, hopefully, you know, your uh, mother didn't smoke during pregnancy because that tends to lead to underweight and underdeveloped uh, infants. And and so, yeah, so, so tall patients, but I would also think about patients that are morbidly obese, patients that carry, you know, you know, a lot of extra weight, uh, that heart has to push, you know, and oxygenate all that tissue, right? And so that tends to make it more stressful for the heart, which can lead eventually to failure. Um, and, and you have congenital causes of failure as well. Uh, of course, you know, medications, you know, pr- probably, you know, some medications can lead to heart failure. I can't think of one right right off the top of my head right now. Uh, and then, of course, there's, you know, genetic predisposition and, you know, family predisposition, coronary artery disease due to, you know, high cholesterol and plaque buildup in the coronary arteries. Right. And, and, you know, the genetic predisposition would be, you know, like something like where you have a big heart. It's called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, and it's just a big heart. 
and, and and that you know sometimes you'll hear about that basketball player who was you know in his in his twenties and suddenly right. suddenly died drops dead drops dead, and so that big heart you know tends to affect the way that the electrical wiring I should say the nerves, uh, the electrical impulses that are generated mm. in the heart, uh, and and if they're not doing it correctly, then it can lead to things like atrial fibrillation. It can lead to other more dangerous conditions like ventricular fibrillation or ventricular tachycardia, which is where the bottom portion of the heart is either not uh, – it's either vibrating, it's not contracting well, or it's going too fast. And that can lead to uh, you know, cardiac arrest and death. For athletes who mm-hmm. – and you hear about it occasionally – who just suddenly drop dead and it mm-hmm. turns out they had a, you mm-hmm. know, an issue with their heart, uh, is there no way to uh, identify those issues – uh, during their medical exam to clear them to play, and 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 so with those conditions, sometimes yes, you know, during their exam, you may be listening for you know murmurs and other heart sounds that may predispose you know or may may, may make the uh, provider think of you know something going on with the heart structurally, um, you know. And there's been talk, and you know, I I I don't know what the school consensus is, but there's been talk about just doing screening EKGs. On, on certain athletes, uh, certainly if you have a family history, then you should be screened. But if you don't have a family history, there's some talk about it, you know, and, and, and whether or not they're doing it because of the cost-to-benefit ratio, I'm not sure. Uh, but EKG is uh, another way to pick up uh, an abnormality in the size of the heart, how it sounds. Or maybe there's history of, you know, playing basketball and getting winded excessively compared to your peers. Or maybe you've passed out. You know, once or twice, right. or had near 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 syncopal or near passing out episodes that may uh, trigger you or your parents. You know, if you're young, uh, to take you in to see your doctor and and, and be evaluated. Um, I have a patient who his, who is in his sixties, uh, maybe seventies. Yeah, probably seventies, and he has hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, and he's an active guy, and he plays basketball. Uh, so he's got a big heart, and he's got a big heart, and so and he's still he's still active. Um, I think his enlarged heart is still being worked up by the cardiologist at WellMed, and so I don't know that we have an accurate uh, diagnosis. I, I don't think it was congenital. I think it's something that he acquired, you know, uh, later in life. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, he may have had problems, you know, when he was younger. So, can you shrink the heart? Uh, well, there's medication to to help lessen how hard it works so that it doesn't continue to enlarge and run into those problems like the arrhythmias, but you can't shrink it. No, there's no medicine to shrink it that I know of. The thing about the heart, and, and uh-huh. you think about this, uh, if, if, if take an analogy, a uh, piece of equipment uh, that works 24-7, 365 days a year, mm-hmm. uh, and... and MTBF, mean time between failure, sometimes those machines fail. Mm-hmm. The heart, if it fails, you die. Exactly. So it's not like the kidney and, and, and a portion of the lung or a portion of the liver. If, if the heart fails and, and – It's all over. And you're not in front of a, a cardiothoracic surgeon with another heart and another way of you know pumping the blood to, to this artificial heart while you're getting your transplant, then, right. you, then, then you're kind of not going to do well. <laughs> And that does happen to people. And that does happen, yeah. Without any mm-hmm. uh, advance warning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know a guy, he's now deceased, but not because of this incident, uh-huh. uh, who at his office mm-hmm. several years ago dropped dead. And they brought him back. Just that day, a new intern, first day on the job, 
new CPR, brought him back, mm-hmm. uh, and he went on to live another eight, nine, ten years, mm-hmm. uh, but came out of the blue. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that can happen. Called and, cardiac arrest. Exactly, and, and that's where your heart stops pumping blood, and, and, and then, you know, it's only a matter of time before, you know, you can go brain dead due to hypoxia or lack of oxygenation of the brain, which can lead to other things like strokes, you know and uh, death of the, uh, the heart tissue and such. Wow. And so that's where the CPR comes into play. And hopefully, you know, if that were ever to happen to somebody, that they would be around somebody that knows CPR and, and knows how to do it well. Or they have a, an AED, an automatic defibrillator handy. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so that's, you know, what we're trained in every couple of years or, every, you know, we'll go through a refresher, even, you know, us, because, you know, we, I'm not an ER physician and so I don't, you know, you know, actively resuscitate people. Uh, you know, I, I think the last time I see somebody that coded was uh, when I was a resident. And so, but we always have to be prepared, right? Because any of our patients that have all these medical problems that they're debilitating, may, may, that may happen in our office, you know, and we have to be able to deal with it. And the thing is, it can happen uh, to someone who doesn't have a lot of visible debilitating conditions that they you know don't know. Of. You don't exactly. know. You don't know. Exactly. Maybe they never went to the doctor and, and, and were never diagnosed until something bad happened. Wow. Mm-hmm. So you're trained in CPR. I've, I've taken CPR mm-hmm. training, mm-hmm. and all of your colleagues and medical assistants are. Mm-hmm. That's good to know. We're flat out of time again. Yeah. I hate when that happens. I know. Very interesting topic. It is. We'll have yeah. to do that one again because For sure. we, we've left out a, a, lot a lot of conditions. Of, a lot of conditions, a lot of debilitating conditions. Dr. Yeah. Joshua Beck, thank you. I'm Ron Aaron. Thank you. You've been listening to WellMed Radio on 930 AM, The Answer. Our programs are available on podcasts. Just Google WellMed Radio. Thanks for listening on 930 AM, The Answer. Thank you for listening to WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. We welcome your emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. And please be sure to tune in next week for another edition of WellMed Radio.